I don't know if you know this, but there's a thread that goes through the entire Bible. It doesn't matter if you're reading the Old Testament, the New Testament, whatever book it is, there's a thread that goes through that connects it all, and everything points to Jesus Christ. In fact, it all points to what we celebrate this season, um, that Jesus was born and He was the good news. He is the good news. And so, for those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, this is one of the most important verses, really, that just solidifies our faith and kind of solidifies the fact that we believe in the presence of God. And, uh, and this verse in particular, I'm going to teach really deep on on Christmas Eve, and so I hope you come to one of our Christmas Eve services. But today we're going to jump off of it as a, as a place to start our study. So it's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, and Matthew said this, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, what does it mean? Let's all say it aloud, which means... God is with us. And last week we looked at how, you know, a lot of us find it easy to experience God's presence and celebrate God's presence and and praise God and have faith whenever we're on top of a mountain. But it's a little different story when you're walking through a valley because you experience God's presence in a whole new way. And the valley is where you actually get to know Him intimately. That's where you get to know Him in ways that you maybe never knew Him before. And, uh, and so today what I want to do is I want to look at another metaphor from Scripture that we find all throughout. It's not the valley, this time it's the wilderness. Because sometimes we're wandering in a wilderness and God's presence is, a- is, is accessible in the wilderness as well. So how do we experience His presence in the wilderness? And the wilderness is different from a valley. Because when you're walking through a valley, you can walk through slow or sometimes you can walk through fast. You can be in a valley and out the next day sometimes. But when you're walking through the wilderness, it takes a little longer. That's the difference. The wilderness is a place where you wander for a while. The wilderness is a place where sometimes you wonder, how the heck am I going to get out of this place? It's a barren place. If you look at metaphors in Scripture, it's a dry place. It's a lonely place. It's a desolate place. And sometimes you feel very alone there. It talks about wandering through the wilderness. And it's wondering, when is this going to be over? Wondering, when am I going to get out of the wilderness? And some of you right now, you might be in a type of wilderness, and you find yourself desolate or you find yourselves wandering around and maybe you're stuck in a particular job and wondering how you're going to get out of it because you can't take any more. Or maybe you're uh, trying to get through school and you can't figure out how to get through there. Or you're trying to make some big decisions in your life and you just keep wandering around without making a decision. Um, you know, for some of you, might, you might feel stuck in a place like I'm dating some guy and he just won't ask me to marry him and I dated him and I dated him and I dated him and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I fasted and I fasted and I fasted and he still hasn't asked me to marry him even though it's been a decade and uh, all he does is sit at home and play video games all day and all night. Should I break up with him? And the answer is yes. <laughs> but I gave up all that time and so it feels like a waste. Trust me, it's not. <laughs> is that too much? It's true though. We often feel alone though. We feel lost. We feel, we feel disoriented. Sometimes when we're in the wilderness, we feel like nobody really understands where we are. We feel like they don't get what we get. And, and what's so interesting to me, though, is when you look at wilderness stories in the Bible, almost every wilderness story where somebody ends up wandering in the wilderness is immediately following a mountaintop experience. It even happened with Jesus, in fact. Let's look at a situation with Jesus. He had a mountaintop moment, right? When he got baptized by John the Baptist, many of you know the story, and literally it says in the story that the heavens opened up and the presence of God, the Spirit of God, descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and then you heard this audible voice from heaven saying, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. So it's this mountain, this high, this mountain experience where you experience God's presence in this miraculous way, but the very next verse, if you read it, says immediately Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. (laughs) 
mountaintop followed by wilderness. And some of you, it, it, it's been like that recently. You know, I, I found myself on a mountaintop, everything was going great, but then all of a sudden I find out someone's not being honest with me. Or it seems like relationships are going re- great, but then I find out that someone was unfaithful. Or, or my gosh, you know, you're in a financial wilderness and you're trying and trying to get out of this debt, you feel so desperate, whatever you do, it just doesn't seem to work, you're still wandering. You've tried to tell people how you feel, but they just don't seem to understand how you feel, and you feel alone, you feel spiritually dry, and you feel desperate. You feel desperate, like you're wandering in a wilderness. And so today what I want to do is I want to focus in on one thought that we can find throughout Scripture, but we're going to key in on a few places that we see it, and come back to it a few times. And my prayer for today is that you would not only believe that this statement is true, but that it would become so true to your spirit that you can't let go of it, guys. Because l- let me pause for a second, because we were, we were talking about something in, in my Saturday morning Bible study yesterday that kind of just hit all of us at once, and I want to share it with you because it has to do with what I just said, that you can go through the motions your whole life and go to church and do what seems to be all the right things, even the things that God tells you to do throughout his word, and you can get to the end of your life and look back and it's like something was missing. And The point is, Jesus came not so that we would go through all these religious rituals and all these steps that he gave us to do for the wrong reasons, but that we would do it for the right reasons because what Jesus was all about was establishing that we could have an intimate, personal relationship with God through him. And that's what he offers to us. And it's a big deal. And yet so many times we treat it as just one extra thing that we do instead of the main thing, which is what it is. And so what I'm saying is, There's this little part in Scripture which, you know, (laughs) I don't really feel excited to share this with you, but it's in the Scripture, and we don't sugarcoat the Bible here. We share all of it because it's all true. And there's this part toward the end where the people of the church come to Jesus, and they actually say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all the things you told us to do? Didn't we do this and do that and do that? And the words from Jesus at that moment are kind of scary. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. In other words, they did all the right things, but... They didn't know him. They didn't have that relationship with him. He he doesn't just want us to know about him and study him. He wants us to know him intimately. And and that's that's really what so many people in, in the church today miss. And it's something that we need to get. And I'm getting off track, but that's my soapbox for today. So the point is, sometimes you're wandering in the wilderness and you just feel dry. But here's the one thought. The big thought is this. Guys, your deepest need... As much as it hurts, as painful as it is to walk through sometimes, your deepest need can actually become a gift if it drives you to depend on the presence of God. It can be a gift. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Not on yourself, but fully on God, which is the only place that the true strength comes from. And so what I'm going to do, remember that thread runs all throughout the book. So I'm going to show you a story in the Old Testament of a man who experienced a mountaintop experience, many of them actually, where he was on a spiritual high, God did these powerful things through him and around him, but then he was led into the wilderness, much like Jesus, to experience loneliness and despair, right afterward. And this will give us a little context. So um, it's in 1 Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn there. We also have it on the screen. If you haven't pulled out your outline, those of you that like to follow along that way, we have an outline in your bulletin. And what we see here is a guy named Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet of God that God used in these massive, massive ways. And so he was literally on a mountaintop in this moment. He was literally on top of this mountain called Mount Carmel. 
And this crazy stuff happened where um, he, God just shows his power through this man. Almost immediately after this, we see him on the mountaintop. He goes to the wilderness where he becomes desperate, depressed, and feels alone and scared for his life. Just like that. So to give you a little context, because remember, it's important to understand the context of the Bible before we just read it literally, because we, it, that's what brings the truth out, okay? So what you have in this time in history is you have this guy named King Ahab. And King Ahab was known as one of the most evil kings there ever was, but he had this wife who was considered to be even more evil than him named Jezebel. You've heard of someone say like, oh, she's a Jezebel, she's a Jezebel. That's where this comes from. What that means is, oh, she's wicked. And uh, Jezebel heard about all that God had done through this prophet Elijah, and she didn't like it. And she didn't think her husband was, was doing a good enough job tracking him down, so she gets mad, and she essentially looks at her husband, and she says, hey, if you can't do the job, then let the woman do it. That's what she says, and that's kind of what she did. She says, it says, send word to Elijah that by this time tomorrow, he will be dead. So she threatens him. And this is the part I find kind of humorous. King Ahab had been pursuing this prophet for years. And if you read the whole story, Elijah just stands up to the evil king. He's bold. He's courageous. He speaks against him. He's after him. He doesn't seem to get afraid. But then this one woman goes after him, and he just hightails and runs. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And Let me pause for a moment because sometimes when you just read the sentence, you don't really get the, what's going on there. To run to Beersheba from where he was meant that he had to run 100 miles to get away from these people. There was no Uber. There were no cars. He had to run on foot 100 miles to get to his destination from this crazy, angry wife of this king. We're talking like he turns into Forrest Gump. He hightails it. He gets out of Dodge. He runs 100 miles. He's scared for his life. And it says, while his, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey. So he was just on the mountaintop. And right after that, where did he end up? In the wilderness. Running for his life. He's scared. He's alone. He's hurting. And he's desperate. It says, he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. And then he said the words that, that many of us have said over the years in different seasons of our life. Some of you might even be saying these words right now as we speak. He basically says, Lord, I've had enough. I just can't take it anymore. He had put up a battle. He had put up a fight. He had been brave and courageous and had faith. But now finally he's just at the end of his rope. He, he just says, I've had enough, Lord. And, and, and I'm certain in a group this size that there are some of you in this room that maybe you're at that point in your life in this season where it's just like, you know what, you have these very words, I'm done, I'm spent, I've had enough, I don't know how much more I can take. You know, like if you're raising kids, anybody in this room that's raised kids, you know you've said words like, I've had it up to here, or here. <laughs> don't make me come in there, I'm done, right? Like you say those things. Amen. And it, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of like he's having that kind of re reaction in his life. It's like, I've had enough, I just can't take it anymore I'm at the end of my rope and you know some of you could be in a work situation where you know finally just the straw breaks breaks the camel's back and you just like I can't stay in this job another day it's it's I just can't take it or financially maybe you're trying to get ahead and trying to get ahead and you actually make some progress and then all of a sudden the car breaks down and the toilet breaks down and all that stuff that happens and it's like I don't know what I'm gonna do and then your two-year-old puts a tic-tac up his nose and you end up in the ER at three in the morning and you're like God I can't take it anymore that's my world. 
but you feel overwhelmed. You just get to this point where you feel overwhelmed, and sometimes it's the small things, though, right? Like, I, I worked so hard, and I spent hours preparing this delicious meal, and I laid it out beautifully before my family, and they all sat down at the table to eat it, and they were done with the whole meal in 30 seconds, left the table to do something else, left all the dishes for me, and I've had it up to here. And so just like Jezebel, the words come out of your mouth, and it's like, if these dishes aren't done by tomorrow morning, you'll all be dead. <laughs> but you just get to that point where sometimes it's the little things. It just throws you over, and it's just something that comes. And, and this is apparently the type of thing that happened to Elijah the prophet. Because let me tell you what, this guy had experienced the presence of God like many of us never have. Um, let me tell you what, just a little bit. He had fought with bravery, with boldness. If you don't know his whole backstory, he actually had stood up to this evil king Ahab and prophesied, and he called for a drought as punishment for this king's sins, and God turns off the water faucet, and there's no rain for years because this man called it into existence. And then the king is mad at Elijah, so he sends all of his forces after him, and he's on the run for three years straight running away from these armies, but God is protecting him. And if you know the story, God sends these ravens, these birds, to deliver food to him when he's out in the desert, in the wilderness. And, and, and then this prophet stands down these 850 false prophets of Baal that are going against the word of God, and he calls down fire from heaven, and this fire comes down and consumes the, the altar and consumes the, the false prophets. Yeah. Some of you think the Bible's boring. The Bible's not boring. You're boring. This is the most exciting book on the face of the earth. You've got to read it. You've got to open it. And you just get to this, you know, point. But, but, I mean, this prophet had experienced the protection of God, the provision of God in miraculous ways, the power of God and, and, and God's greatness. And then one woman makes a threat and he runs for his life. And all the men in the room are laughing, but they're not laughing out loud. They're looking straight ahead, not pretending not to know anything. <laughs> but he runs for his life. And some of you feel that way right now because you're in that kind of season. You're in a wilderness and you feel like, I've had enough. I don't know how much more I can take. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm doing the best I can, but sometimes it just seems like the best I can is just not good enough. Let me, let me go here. How many of you would be willing to admit and say, I'm just tired? Yeah, a lot of you. Me too. I'm just, I'm just tired. You know, so many of us are tired. We're all tired, tired, tired. Some of you are in school, plus you're working a full-time job. You're tired. Some of you are trying to finish your degree. You're tired. Some of you just need a break. You're tired. Those of us that have small kids in the home, we're not tired. We're tired. <laughs> and those of you that don't have small kids in the home, you don't get to even complain about being tired. <laughs> it's true, though. But here's why I bring it up. And this, I was thinking about this this week, and it kind of stung me a little bit, so it's going to sting some of you a little bit, but I still have to say it because it's true. Some of you who think you're tired all the time, and I'm just tired, and I'm tired, and I'm tired, you're misdiagnosing the actual problem. And you're misdiagnosing the actual challenge and symptom that is causing it. Because if you were just tired, if that's all it was, you could just take a nap and you'd be okay. You could get a good nine hours of sleep eventually, and then you're okay. So it's not just that we're tired. In other words, you're not just tired. Some of you need spiritual replenishment. You're not just tired. Some of you are spiritually depleted. And, and you're not just tired. You're not just overwhelmed. And, and, and this needs to speak to somebody because what you need in that moment is you need to encounter the very real presence of a very real God. And, and what you need is, is an intimate moment where you experience His grace and His goodness 
and his presence in your life. And you're not just tired. Maybe you do need some rest. Physical rest is an important thing, and we all need it. But even more than just physical rest, you need to encounter the grace of God. And you need spiritual replenishment. And this is what David actually says in Psalm 23. We've all heard this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, the Lord, not myself, He restores my soul. Not just tired, not just worn out, but I actually need the restoration of God to my soul. Not just physically exhausted, but spiritually depleted. So what does God do in this moment now that Elijah's in this place? What I love is what He doesn't do. He doesn't preach a, preach a sermon going, this is your fault, this is your fault, get out of this mess. He doesn't give him 10 points to fill in on an outline and say this will change your life. He doesn't have him memorize 10 verses of Scripture. He doesn't say, where's your faith? Here's what God immediately tells him when he's in this wilderness phase. He says, you need to, you need to eat and rest. That's what he says. Here's what the Scripture says. Verse 5 and 6. All at once an angel touched Elijah and said to him, Get up and eat. Guys, if you listen to God, some of you, God's going to tell you, get up, eat a double cheeseburger with bacon on it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Can't focus now. Um, it says, he looked all around, and there by his head was some bread, some gluten-free bread from heaven. That's the world we live in, right? Baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and he lay down again. So what did God say? Essentially, God said sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just rest in the presence of God. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is not go do this and go do that and go accomplish that, but simply rest in the presence of God. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just take a breather and let God restore your soul and fill you back up. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time. And I love this because I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't get it the first time. <laughs> Can you admit that? And sometimes I don't get it the second time, and he comes back a third time. And thank God. But there are those of you today that God's coming back for you again. And maybe you didn't listen the first time, but he still comes back again because he pursues you. So it says, The Lord comes back another time and touched him and said, Get up and eat for the second time, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate, and strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into the cave and spent the night there, and the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here? Why are you running away from me? What are you doing here? And some of you, God will speak to you that way sometimes. He'll say, What do you think you're doing here? Why are you running away from me and running away from people? Why are you out here in the wilderness when I make my presence available to you? You're running away from the very thing that will give you strength. Why are you running away? And then Elijah, he does this thing where you don't always read it this way, but I, I kind of interpret it this way. I'm pretty sure that it's accurate. He kind of gets this whiny voice when he's talking to God. And I don't know if you ever get whiny voice when you're talking to God. Sometimes I do, and I'm not proud of it. But he replied, because God says, Why are you, what are you doing out here? Why are you running from me? And he says, I've been zealous for the, the Lord Almighty. In other words, I've been zealous for you. I've been all in for you. I've been passionate for you. That's what I do. God, I've been working so hard. Why don't you answer this one prayer? God, I've been doing everything that I could do to serve you. Why don't you answer this one prayer? Side note, did 
Did you know that God always answers prayers? It's just that sometimes he says no. <laughs> or sometimes he says not yet. Or sometimes he says, you haven't done this first, so I can't do this yet. We think that because he doesn't give us an immediate yes to our request, sometimes that he doesn't answer prayers. That's not how prayer works. But that's not what I'm preaching about today. So he gets this whiny voice. Maybe I'm the only one that gets whiny voice because you all are looking at me strange. But he's got whiny. He says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's in a spiritual wilderness. He's hurting. His need is such that he cannot look beyond his need. It's the only thing he can see. Nobody understands. Nobody's doing it like I'm doing it. Nobody's pulling the weight I'm pulling. I'm all alone. I'm desperate. And then what does God do? God meets him in his deepest need. God ministers to him in a moment of vulnerability. And God brings healing, not once he's out of the hurt, but in the middle of his hurt. Right there in the wilderness. And that's why I hope you'll understand, guys, that your deepest need, no matter how difficult, can actually become one of your greatest gifts if you allow it to drive you to depend on the presence of God. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But I love verse 11. The Lord said, go stand on a mountain in the presence of the Lord. So Elijah's thinking, okay, this is what I need. I'm going to have another mountaintop experience. He's sending me back to the mountain. He's going to come with force and he's going to be mighty and he's going to be strong. This is what I've been waiting for. I'm coming out of the wilderness. God's going to reveal himself to me in a powerful way. It says, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. So he's thinking, here it comes. God's going to be in the wind. It's going to rush. It's going to be powerful. God's coming in the rushing and mighty wind. But then, look, the Scripture says, but the Lord was not in the wind. Huh. And after the wind was an earthquake. Well, surely God's in the shaking of the ground. That's power. He's going to come in a powerful way. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. Well, certainly, just as the burning bush was not consumed in the presence of Moses, in the presence of God, my God is coming into the fire. But it says the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. So the ground shook. God was not in the shaking of the ground. The wind raged. God was not in the wind. The fire burned and God was not in the fire. Earth, wind, and fire. You see what God did there? <laughs> For all you born in the 70s? And if you don't know why everybody else is giggling, just go ahead and be 18 and just enjoy it. You've got a lot of life ahead of you and we're all going to die sooner. If you haven't heard the songs, you don't get the jokes. But... Here's the point. God was not in the remarkable. He was in the ordinary whisper. You had to listen for it. God was in the whisper. And so you have to ask the question, why is it sometimes when life is so difficult, is God so quiet? Why is it sometimes when you're going through something like that or when you're wandering in the wilderness, if God wants us to hear Him, why does He whisper? Why doesn't He shout? Why doesn't he come with full force so his voice is undeniable and we just hear it? And, and, and why does he whisper? And I'll tell you why. Guys, he whispers because he's close. And when you're close, you don't have to shout to be heard. That's why it says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And some of you are waiting to hear a shout from God, but he says, draw near to me and then you'll hear my whisper. Because I'm not the one that left. 
I'm not the one that created the distance. He whispers because he's close, because he's right there with you, because he's near. The devil shouts his lies, but God whispers his truth. And we see that throughout Scripture. What does he say to you? He says, I'll never leave you. He says, I'll never forsake you. He says, I love you more than you can imagine. He says, I've been with you every single moment. And when you hurt, I hurt with you. I'm with you in the valley. I'm with you in the wilderness. I'm with you every time. But you have to rest in my presence and acknowledge that I'm there. Why does God whisper? He whispers because he's right there. Because he's close. Where do you want to be when you're afraid? Well, let's, let's, go, let's backtrack. When you were like two or three, maybe even four, and really loud, violent thunder and lightning struck right outside your house, there was a big storm, where did you run to? I ran to my parents' bedroom. I can admit that. <laughs> did any of you do that? You're lying in church? <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> of course you were. Because a two-year-old is not a superhero. When they're afraid, when they feel alone, they run to the one that makes them feel safe. My three-year-old boy, if he's scared, guess where the first place he runs to? It's right by my side. Because he runs to the one who makes him feel safe. In the same way, listen to me, in the middle of a storm, you don't have to run to God's bedside because he's already near yours. He's with you and he's close to you. And he's already there. And so if your heart is hurting right now, he's with you. Do you know how I know that? Because it says it in the scripture. Let me show you. In Psalm 34, 18, who is the Lord close to? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Why does he whisper? Because he's close, because he's near, because he's with you. David said this. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley, remember last week, the valley's not my destination. I'm just passing through. I'm not going to stay here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. Because he, he will never leave me. Because he's always close. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He anoints my head with oil. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He'll always be with me through every season, in the valley, in the wilderness, in the storm, doesn't matter. Why does God whisper to us? Because he's close. He knows us by name and he knows how to speak to us with a soft and gentle voice, but we have to listen. David said this about God's presence. Last one I'm going to share. He said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even if your hand guides me, your right hand will still hold me fast. How crazy is it that God is so close that he can hold your hand? Why does God whisper? Because he's close. And then one day you will discover that your greatest need can become a gift if it drives you into the presence of God where you fully depend on it. There's a young lady here in our church who, she was an atheist. I mean, she didn't believe in God. She didn't believe in any of this. The day she walked in here, she didn't believe in Jesus Christ at all. That same morning she walked in here for the first time, she surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. 
Why? Because he was close. Because he reached down in that very moment. Because he cared about her and he pursued her. And he drew her to him. Because that's what he does and that's what he does best. You know, that week, she signed up to serve. (laughs) She signed up to serve people in our church. She was on fire. And she cried all the way through the message and she still cries through some of the messages, but now they're tears of joy. And if you talk to her, what she'll tell you is that at that very low point in her life, God reached down to where she was and he pulled her up. And he drew her close. And now every week it's different because she's a different person and her life has changed. And the reason, guys, listen to me, I've said it, I'm going to keep saying it though, it's because he's close. And what you need to hear is that God loves you, he's for you, you're valuable to him, you matter to him. And he wants you in his family. Because he's reaching out to you and he's bringing you to himself and he has plans for you and his plans are to bless you and to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. He cares for you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. That's a big deal. And what I told this young lady is now God's spirit dwells within you. It says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is within you, and that's a big deal. He's always close. I had a conversation with somebody recently who's been going through a lot. Like, I don't want to judge this. This is not my place to judge, but I could pretty accurately guess probably going through more than most people in this room. I'm talking about dark, serious, painful stuff that I'm not even going to utter out loud. She's in the wilderness. And I said something to her the other day. I said, you know, I think maybe Satan's attacking you because he knows how much God wants to use you and what he wants to do through you. And she called me on it. And I'm so thankful she did. She said, you know, Pastor Jared, that might be true. But she said, you know what I believe? I believe God chose me for this. And I got taken aback by that. (laughs) Because that's not something you hear every day. And I said, can you expound upon that? Like, what do, you, what do you mean God chose you for this? This is some serious stuff you're walking through. And she said, I don't mean that he caused, me, caused it to happen to me, but I believe he chose me to go through this season. And I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? Explain it to me. And she said, well, look what has happened through my struggle. She said, look at the people every single week that I get to minister to and talk to about Jesus who I wouldn't have even been able to connect to if I hadn't walked through this. And I'm like, where did you come from and how do I get your faith? Because I wish I had that, that, half that faith as this woman. Didn't complain once. And she says, now I get to speak into these people's lives all the time because of what I'm walking through. And those doors wouldn't have been open before. And then she said, look how blessed my life is. Look how blessed my marriage is as a result of what I just had to walk through. She said, we're so dependent on God that we just have to be in his presence moment after moment every day. And then she looked at me and she said, God's going to get me through this. I believe he is. And when he does, I will tell everybody about his goodness. But she said, while I'm walking through it, he chose me for this and he's going to make an impact through me. And guys, I got choked up because that's a level of courage that you don't see that often. And I'm just proud of her.
But then she said this. She said, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't want anybody else to go through what I just went through. And I don't ever want to go through it again. (laughs) But I wouldn't change anything because of how close I am to God now. And so here's what I hope you'll understand. We enjoy him on the mountaintops. That's when it's easy. But we get to know him intimately when we're walking through a valley if we rely on him and depend on him. Because that's where he shows up in new ways. When we're wandering in the wilderness and we feel like nobody understands, he understands. And when we feel like nobody cares, he cares. And he's always good. And he wasn't in the booming earthquake and he wasn't in the rushing wind and he wasn't in the raging fire. Where was he? He was in the whisper. His presence was in the whisper. And so the point is, if you'll stop just for a moment from the rush of the busyness of life, guys, which gets to us all, and you'll dig a ditch like we talked about last week and wait for his presence to come, he will show up and he will reveal himself to you. Because who is he? The virgin will be with child. And she'll give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Why does our God whisper? He whispers because he's close.